0: Welcome to my mommy's podcast.
1: This episode is brought to you by GladSkin, an incredible new product and resource for anyone who is struggling with eczema. This product is rooted in a really unique scientific understanding of the skin's microbiome. GladSkin has unearthed an innovative new way to solve eczema that helps to treat the root and not just the symptom. It's a new category of non-prescription eczema treatment rooted in indolcin, which I hope I'm saying right, um, science that has received recognition from today's leading dermatologists and pediatricians. While most microbiome studies have focused on the health implications of what's found deep in the gut, we're now finding that healthy skin, just like a healthy gut, requires a balance of bacteria. In fact, four out of five people with eczema have a specific type of imbalance in their skin bacteria or their skin microbiome. And this is where glad skin comes in. When the skin balance bacteria gets out of balance, eczema is more likely to flare. So a targeted approach that takes into account the microbiome's good and bad bacteria is critical to relieving the redness and itching of eczema. Although new and unique in its approach in the US, this has already been a proven solution for eczema in Europe for five years and received recognition from leading dermatologists and pediatricians. It's also been accepted by the National Eczema Association and is a different approach altogether compared to steroid creams and traditional over-the-counter moisturizers best part, Gladskin is hypoallergenic and free of steroids, fragrances, drying alcohols, and harmful preservatives. It's stored fresh in a pharmaceutical quality bottle, so they don't need to use the chemical preservatives found in most over-the-counter creams and lotions. And I hear from a lot of you whose children have eczema, and I'm so excited to get to share this resource. You can find out more and get an automatic 10% discount by going to wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash gladskin, G-L-A-D-S-K-I-N. So again, that's wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash gladskin to get a 10% discount. It should be automatic, but you can also use the code wellnessmama10 if you have any trouble this podcast is sponsored by wellness that's wellness with an e on the end my new personal care company that creates products that go beyond just safe and natural to contain beneficial ingredients that nourish your body from the outside in see many clean products just don't work that well and this is why i spent the last decade researching and perfecting recipes for products that not only eliminate the toxic chemicals but that have ingredients that work better than conventional alternatives while nourishing your body from the outside in. I am so excited to share these products with you, and I'm especially proud of our whitening toothpaste, which took years of formulating and dozens and dozens of rounds of tweaks to finally perfect. Our whitening toothpaste supports a healthy oral microbiome and strengthens tooth enamel naturally using ingredients like hydroxyapatite, neem, and green tea instead of fluoride our formula contains green tea leaf extract which is loaded with antioxidants plus we use a phytochemical in green tea that's shown to fight bacteria that leads to tooth decay we combine this with hydroxyapatite a naturally occurring mineral and the main component of tooth enamel with clinical studies showing that it can help strengthen teeth and avoid cavities and of course fresh breath is important when it comes to brushing teeth so for that we included peppermint leaf and neem you're not familiar with it, neem prevents bacteria from sticking to teeth and turning into plaque. So this protective measure means fewer bacteria, which leads to fresher breath. Check out our whitening toothpaste along with all of our products, including hair care and hand sanitizer at wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end, W-E-L-L. N-E-S-S-E.com. And a tip, if you buy a bundle or subscribe, you get an automatic discount that's built in both of those ways. So check it out, wellness.com. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie. From wellnessmama.com and wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end. My new line of personal care products, good for your hair and teeth. We have a hair care and toothpaste and now hand sanitizer as well. You can check out at wellness.com. This episode, I'm here with Nora Gagatis, who is a board certified nutritional consultant and a clinical neurofeedback specialist. She has over 20 years of clinical experience and she's also an extremely detailed researcher. I always love to hear her research, and as you'll hear today, she goes deep on every topic that she researches. In this one specifically, we tackle some questions that I keep getting from you guys, things like the current data and science on fermented cod liver oil, about fish oil in general, what nature's real superfoods are, and data-backed ways that we can all strengthen our immune system, especially going into this time of the year. So as always with Nora, lots of information in this episode. And without further ado, let's join her now. Nora, welcome back.
0: Oh, Katie, it's great to be back again with you and uh, and your great audience.
1: I'm always so excited to chat with you. I know the first time we met, we chatted for hours, I think. And this time it's fun, we get to record and let other people join in on our conversation. I'd love to. I have a whole host of topics for you today, but one I want to make sure that we touch on before we go deep on some other stuff is what the research is saying right now and what you found in your research regarding fermented cod liver oil, because this is something that was widely. Recommended by a lot of people for a long time, and something that I think was popularized by, you know, Weston A. Price Foundation and Weston A. Price's work and his research in nutrition and physical degeneration. Um, And I know that there is some new data and that you have done quite a bit of research in this area in general. So I'd love to start there. And like I said, we'll jump into many more topics, but let's tackle that one first.
0: So the idea of fermented cod liver oil is actually a more recent thing. It was actually never, nothing called fermented cod liver oil was ever mentioned by Weston Price. There are certain people with a vested interest in promoting or selling fermented cod liver oil that are doing so. But you have to realize that, you know, oil and fat don't ferment, you know, fats rancidify, right? Carbohydrates ferment and proteins putrefy you know, when they sit around. So it's, you know, the idea of fermenting a fat or an oil is, you know, it, it, it sounds like it's doing something positive, but in fact, it, it seems to be doing little more than deteriorating the quality of the oil. And I know, you know, certain people I knew within, you know, the Weston A. Price Foundation, which has a very close relationship with Dave Wetzel, you know, who owns uh, Green Pastures and who popularized the use of fermented uh, cod liver oil, what they call fermented. There were a number of uh, health complaints that were coming in. And, uh, you know, Dr. Kayla Daniel at the time was the vice president and the chief scientist or whatever at the Weston A. Price Foundation. Um, She'd won their, you know, integrity and science award and all of that. A very very good and capable uh, researcher, and she was getting a lot of health complaints from members that were saying that they you know felt less well you know taking the fermented cod liver oil that they were having untoward effects and and so there was a lot of resistance on the part of you know Sally Fallon to to mount an investigation because she so strongly believed in its benefits and so a number of people within some of whom are known and some of whom uh, chose to remain anonymous, pulled together their money, their own money out of their own pockets and fund about 10 grand worth and funded research, uh, basically sent out samples of this stuff to some of the best labs in the world to have it analyzed to determine. because. The data results or whatever, the the lab results that Dave Wetzel presented, you know, were his own proprietary testing methods that nobody could replicate, apparently, you know, and he had his own, you know, personal analysis, but there had never been any independent analysis of this stuff, and they felt that there was a need for this. One person who was a longtime ally of the uh, and who was actually a longtime friend of mine, who was an ally of the of the um, Weston A. Price Foundation for, you know, for decades, suffered what what he determined was near heart failure as a result of supplementing with it in large doses the way he'd been recommended. And he when he stopped taking it, he, he improved some. He was actually within he ended up being taken to the hospital this was ron schmidt by the way i mean he would have no qualms about being identified he was very very vocal about his condemnation because he found research to show that rancid oil and rancid cod liver oil can be cardiotoxic and he didn't know that and he's taking huge amounts of this stuff so he wanted he you know he was one of the people that contributed to the research fund and what ended up coming back from some of the best labs in the world was that this was the most rancid product they'd ever you know, fish oil product that they'd ever measured, that they'd ever researched. And, you know, unfortunately, there was a, a bit of a media blackout within, within the organization. And, uh, you know, Kayla, you know, attempted to, to reason with the powers that were within that organization, and there, there was a lot of resistance to that. And so Kayla felt it was her, her obligation as a scientist, as a responsible scientist, to publish the findings of all of this and she was quite, quite bitter about the way it all got handled and that unfortunately also came across in the article she wrote but this, the science substantively in her article is solid and if anybody wants to read more about what transpired they can go to Kayla Daniels website and or you can just do in your search bar preferably with duck duck go or quant or swiss cows as opposed to google type in uh, hook, line, and stinker, and that was her initial article on that. And she's since done some follow-up uh, research uh, publications. But I know of people personally who, you know, had um, very uh, unsavory health effects, <laughs> shall we say, and whose and whose departure from this world may very well have been hastened by the use of all of that. And that's obviously I can't make claims one way or the other to that effect. All I know is that I will not use fermented cod liver oil. In fact, when I first took a look at the research that came out of those labs, you know, I had just recently decided I was going to give that product a go. And I purchased a case of it, which was not a cheap thing to do. And it all went into the dumpster. And I will not touch it. You know, good rule of thumb if a fish oil that you supplement with tastes bad, it probably is bad, <laughs> you know? It should, a good quality fish oil taste really mild. It should, be, should not taste fishy and gross. But, you know, cod liver oil is pr- predominantly a vitamin A. I view cod liver oil as predominantly a vitamin A supplement. And if there are high levels of D in it, it's because you know, it's been fortified somehow. It's been added in. In fact, there was some significant amount of, of D2 that was that appeared to have been added to the, the green pastures product, which suggests it's been cut with other oils, you know, vegetable oils or whatever else. I'm trying to remember all of this now because it's been a few months. But yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan and It's not a product that I would ever recommend to anybody at this point. And honestly, you can't find so much as one word mentioned in Nutrition and Physical Degeneration about quote unquote fermented cod liver oil. He mentioned, uh, Weston Price mentioned cod liver oil a couple of times in passing. It wasn't like a major focus of what he wrote about, but he talked about it as a possible alternative for people that either didn't have access to liver, didn't like to eat liver, maybe this was something that they could do to get there. But obviously eating liver is going to be the best possible thing you can do because you're getting such a, a broader complement of nutrients. I consider liver the ultimate superfood. You know, shove over camu camu and even turmeric. I mean, liver is so nutrient dense. It just has so much going for it.
1: I'm glad you brought up liver because that was a couple of the, the follow-ups I had related to that. Like, I think when it came to fermented cod liver oil, I agree with you that there's like all of this new data we need to look at. And I think the point that people were looking for in that was that it was supposed to be a very nutrient dense food. So I love that you brought up liver because I've heard liver called nature's multivitamin. I think that's something we don't talk. Enough, you know. So I'd love to hear, just kind of give us the overview of why things like organ meats are such superfoods, and also maybe address um, what about fish oil in general? Because that's another follow-up question. You mentioned a little bit of like what to look for in a fish oil, but that's a controversial one right now.
0: Right, and so, so I don't actually personally use cod liver oil. Um, I think you know Nordic Naturals has a pretty clean one, but it's not going to be super super high in a lot of stuff. But it's at least not likely to be rancid. But if I could have my pick of w- what to recommend, I would. If you don't like liver, learn to love it, or figure out a way of getting it in your diet that's palatable to you. And there, there, you know, I I can give you my number one hack for getting liver into your diet in a way where I mean a meaningful amount into your diet. I know sometimes people will like and i've recommended this before to dice up little bits of it and mix it into ground beef but it's hard to get meaningful amounts when you're trying to hide it that way and i discovered this hack and it's it's you know it certainly changed my life because i don't like the taste of beef liver i just don't i love poultry liver but it's it's not quite as nutrient dense as, as beef liver so say you have I guess the way in which I've used this the most, but I've also used it in sauces. But say it's, it's we're moving into colder, colder you know, months now, at least those of us who aren't living in Florida. And chili, you know, is kind of a heartier kind of food, you know, for this time of year. And so say you make a whole big pot of chili, right? And, and you're getting ready to serve that and it's bubbling on the stove. You can take depending on how much chili you've got in the pot, right, and how much you're making for how many people, you can take a huge amount of liver, like half a pound. I've actually thrown as much as a pound in, which is maybe just a little too much if you don't want to taste it at all. But you can do a good half a pound and not worry about tasting this. You take a half pound or so, quarter, and half pound, depending on the size of the pot of chili, you've got of raw liver, And throw it into a food processor or blender and you puree the crap out of it until it is pure liquid. And just before you serve the chili, just pour that liquid into the pot and stir it up. And what you will get is a creamier, crazy how well that works. And the other thing I've done is I've taken and pureed liver and poured it into like silicone type ice cube trays. So when I have like a sauce or, you know, or something I can just throw a cube of that in, you know, get it a little bit thawed room temperature. So it's not quite so frozen solid, but, you know, take that cube and let it kind of thaw to room temperature a little bit while I'm, while I'm preparing a meal. And if I have like a spaghetti sauce, quote unquote, or something like that, just toss that in right before serving. And again, it adds a creamy texture but you don't taste the livery kind of flavor and you don't get, obviously a lot of people, what a lot of people don't like about liver too is the kind of weird texture that it gets when it gets overcooked. And this kind of eliminates, you know, those concerns. So that's a great way of getting it in. But uh, you know, when you're eating a whole food like that, as opposed to something extracted from a whole food, you're getting all of the accessory nutrients and, and that are designed by nature to work together, you know, and the, And uh, when, when consumed. And so, you know, organ meats in general are the most nutrient dense parts of any animal that, you know, animal source food that we, that we might be inclined to eat. Most people though, when they think of meat, they think of, you know, steak and chicken and whatever else. And we've kind of developed a taboo in our culture against consuming organ meats. It just seems, well, (laughs) I guess, uh, pun intended, but it seems awful, right? You know, there are tastes and textures associated with many organ meats that are unfamiliar and therefore, uh, many people don't find palatable, but there are ways of developing a taste for these things. And, you know, you do, you do that in part by just sneaking it in a little at a time, you know, uh, and you find creative, creative recipes also, which I like to think I, created some of those in my uh, Primal Fat Burner book. You know, I kind of went into creating recipes for that book, Kicking and Screaming, because I just didn't really want to have a, you know, a cookbook associated with my thing, because that's not my thing. And when I cook, also, it's just kind of a pinch of this and a dash of that. And I don't follow recipes. And when I read other books that have recipes in them, I just, you know, I, I, I never, ever use that part of the book. So I always feel like I've paid for half a book that I won't use but I've gotten so many positive emails from people who have just really really loved the recipes and so you know I in, in the end I'm glad I did it and I think there are a lot of really good recipes and I incorporate organ meats in in some of the recipes so I hope you know people will experiment with that it is really important though to learn to love those things and and if you can't, if you absolutely can't, you know, there is a company and I'm sure you're familiar with them, Ancestral Supplements, you know, Brian Johnson is just a really great guy. And what he's done is he has, uh, and I don't have any financial ties, you know, with him at all, but I just really respect what he does uh, with his business. He has a number of grass fed animals over in New Zealand, and, you know, on pristine pastures and things like that. and. And when the animals are processed, he basically takes all of the organs and tissues and encapsulates them in a minimally processed fashion so that you can get the nutritional value from various organ meats and tissues that that either you don't like the taste of, or frankly, may not be readily available. It's really hard to find some of these things sometimes. And so that's another option for people, I think, is, you know, purchasing um, organ meats in a supplemental form if they aren't, if they don't have access to these things in an easy way. And um, that's, you know, it's, it's more expensive. You're having to swallow a bunch of pills instead of just simply eat food. But it's, I think, a wonderful adjunct to any you know fundamentally healthy ancestral diet is you know is the addition of various organs and tissues that may not be readily accessible through you know the usual stores that you go go to or the butchers that you go to i mean you can you can also and increasingly i'm really passionate about encouraging people to establish relationships with the people that raise your food and go out to the farms and look into the eyes of the animals that may end up on your dinner plate at some point and, and find out how they're being fed and make sure that they're being you know, fed and treated in the right way so that you can feel good about where your food comes from and that you feel a more direct connection. Because I would say out of all of the things that are missing from our modern food supply, it is our relationship, our direct relationship to that. And the psychology that comes with that, I think, is a part of the way that we digest and assimilate those foods. You know, just as an example, I mean, I've, I've experienced, you know, what it's like to go and buy something shrink-wrapped and then cook it up and, and then eat it while I'm watching, you know, something on TV or, <laughs> or, or just while I'm on the run somewhere versus having looked in the eyes of something. That you know later wound up on my dinner plate. I can tell you that the experience of taking that food in was extremely different, and uh, there was almost a reverence that came with, really quite literally, a sense of reverence for me that came with consuming, you know, the meat of an animal that I had you know seen alive, and whether that's through hunting which this was, you know, this was that case, uh, or whether it's through, you know, raising your own animals and then, you know, and butchering and processing them and whatever else, that direct relationship, you know, there's a whole cycle of life and death of which we're a part. And we have the illusion in modern society of being somehow separate from that. And it's part of the mental illness of the modern age, I think, is the idea that we're somehow... Separate from nature, you know. With all due respect, I I see the the advent and the popularity of vegetarianism and veganism, especially, to be highly symptomatic of just how far removed we've become from the natural world in which we evolved. And uh, we always get into trouble when we think we're somehow separate from nature or above it in some way. Consumption of food is neither a chain nor a ladder; it's a circle, and we need to recognize and reclaim our part in that i think i think that's a part of reclaiming our most optimal health so anyway that's my take on that and in certainly organ meats in ancient or primitive so called you know ancestral societies those were always considered the most sacred, important foods. Well, the foods that were highest in fat and fat-soluble nutrients in particular were the foods that were considered the most important uh, by far and were revered the most. But organ meats were always selected preferentially to muscle meats. And we've sort of flip-flopped that now. And uh, we tend to, you know, most people tend to just not even think about organ meats when they think about meat. You know, they think about either processed, you know, meats of some kind, or they think about beef or chicken, don't think about all of the other things that went into, you know, that animal that, that contain a a very, very high degree of nutritional values. So it's, organ meats are a big deal, but I know I'm preaching to the choir with you, (laughs)
1: You're so right. It's also that like connection to food and to nature. And I know you do a lot of work to help people learn to reestablish that. And there are so many others in our community as well that give people resources to help do that. And I think with liver especially, it's important to note, you touched on it, but the vitamin D component, um, especially right now. And I think that's a good segue as well into kind of another area I wanted to talk about. But we know from years and years of data that vitamin D and having an adequate vitamin D status, um, which does contain vitamin D, is an important factor for maintaining a strong immune system and for being able to respond to things like respiratory illness or now as we're moving into flu season and, and cold season. And so I'd love to touch on, I know that you have done a whole big report on this, but all of the aspects of that of what we need to know to support our body at a time like this and also maybe to touch on a controversial one of some of the things that we think we might be doing to protect ourselves that could actually be harming our body or harming our body.
0: doing more harm than good. Yeah. Well, the vitamin D thing. So there's actually very, not very high levels of vitamin D in something like liver. It's not stored in the liver. The richest natural source of vitamin D is actually in pastured animal fats, you know, within the fats of these animals and the richest natural source of natural dietary vitamin d is actually pastured 100 percent pastured lard you know pig fat where the where the pigs have been allowed to roam around in fresh air and sunshine and have sunshine literally beating down on their skin while they manufacture a bunch of vitamin d you know unlike other mammals a lot of other mammals anyway other than you know maybe us that they, they don't have a lot of hair on their bodies and that actually allows for Better penetration of sun of sunshine and higher synthesis of vitamin D three. So, but yes, vitamin D is absolutely critical for well. See, all of the fat soluble nutrients are you know. But there has been a, there was a an Indonesian study that talked about vitamin D and survival rates and infection rates when it came to the current you know virus du jour you were 90% more likely to die if your vitamin D levels were below 20 nanograms per milliliter versus like something less than 5% likely uh, to die if your D levels were over 60 nanograms or between 60 and 80 nanograms per milliliter. Or actually, I think in that study, it was over, I think they actually had the healthy levels as over 40. So you know vitamin d i consider between 60 and 80 to be more optimal for most things and the thing is when we when we have inflammation and we are exposed to infections and things like that we blow through d really fast so i like emulsified in you know, a forms of d that are that a little you know or liposomal that are a little more bioavailable but i'm not a fan of like just popping vitamin d pills all the time obviously getting it from food is really important because you have accessory nutrients that are going to work with it in my book primal fat burner i talked about the three amigos which were vitamin d the vitamin d3 vitamin a and i mean true vitamin a retinol uh the kind of stuff you get in liver which we were just talking about and also vitamin k2 again found in pastured animal fats and and poultry fat in particular and poultry liver are pretty high in K2. And uh, the richest natural supplemental source and actually the only natural supplemental source of K2, MK4, which is the only form that is found in, like, for instance, the human brain that is actually taken up in, in maternal umbilical blood. The MK7 stuff that's so popular is actually not absorbed in the umbilical blood at all. And there really is no... A basis for that form of K2 in the human diet. And I mean, that's a whole controversial thing I could rant on for a while, but I don't want to get too far off track. MK4 is the form of vitamin K2 that we evolved consuming. So it makes sense to me that that's what we should be going for. Richest natural supplemental form, and again, I don't have financial ties to this company, but There's a specific genetic strain of emu oil and there's a company called Walkabout Health Products. And they have had the highest levels of K2 measured of any uh, MK4 levels of any food. And it is a basically a food substance. It's a whole, you know, food in oil form. But, you know, so you can be popping vitamin D pills all day long. And we know that vitamin D aids in the absorption of calcium, for instance. Uh, among a a whole bunch of other things that vitamin D does. But what actually determines how that calcium gets used and where it is sequestered and, and absorbed in the body and utilized in the body, that decision is basically made, quote unquote, by vitamin K2. And so if you're taking a bunch of vitamin D and you're not getting adequate K2, you could end up calcifying things that were never meant to be calcified. You know, your heart, your brain, your joints, you know, your endothelium, uh, your arteries, I mean, and all of that, and which is, of course, not desirable. So with all the research around vitamin D, which I'm thrilled that vitamin D is recognized for its importance, but we have to understand that nutrients don't operate in a vacuum in nature, that within foods, they're complexed with other nutrients that they're designed to work in concert with in order to optimize your health. And vitamin A and D3 and K2, you know, I call them the three amigos and they must ride together. (laughs) You know, you really want to have uh, foods that represent all three of these nutrients in your diet or supplements that represent all three of these nutrients in their most natural food based forms in your diet if you want to get the best benefits from them. And of course, vitamin A is so important for the health of your endothelium, for the health of your the mucosa of your lungs, for instance. Vitamin A is enormously regenerative. And by the way, prior to World War II, the primary focus of anti-infective therapy was retinol, not beta-carotene, not, you know, not any plant-based so-called vitamin A, pro-vitamin A, but but retinol the stuff that you can only be found in animal source foods. And of course, liver again is the richest natural source. And so if you want healthy lungs, uh, you need healthy natural saturated fats because lung surfactant is a disaturate molecule. You don't want a whole bunch of polyunsaturated fats making up the surfactant in your lungs. And the reason that a disaturate molecule is what your body makes lung surfactant from is that saturated fat by its very nature is inherently resistant to oxidation, right? The more polyunsaturated the fat, the more prone it is to going rancid quickly. Saturated fat helps to protect things. It protects uh, fat-soluble nutrients from rancidity in the body. It helps to protect your tissues from overly rapid oxidation. And so, you know, again, animal source foods are pretty key to uh, maintaining optimized immune health right now, and really that should be everybody's focus. I know a lot of people are, you know, they think the way to go is locking themselves behind closed doors, you know, uh, hermetically sealing themselves in a bubble, you know, strapping a, a diaper on their face and you know, and wearing gloves and you know, and hiding, uh, staying as far away as possible from their fellow humans. And this is not how the human immune system evolved. This is not the kind of thing that actually strengthens immune function. In fact, it's been actually demonstrated now through a whole wealth of varied data that you're more likely to weaken your immune function by doing that than you are to protect yourself in any meaningful way. You know, the thing that we have to realize is that whatever this celebrity virus is that's out there now, It's not going away. It's not like a noxious or toxic gas that, you know, we can hide behind closed doors and it's going to dissipate and then we can come out and have normalcy again. Viruses are part of our natural environment. They have been for millions of years. And for at least the last two million years that we have been evolving as a species, we have done so in the presence of millions of these things, if not billions of these things. And we're still here. And we're here because we have an immune system that knows how to adapt itself to immune challenges. And it gets stronger through exposure. Now, I'm not suggesting that somebody who's immune compromised or or is in some way and has multiple comorbidities, who's super vulnerable, needs to run out and immediately expose themselves. What I am saying is that those people, especially, need to be focused on improving the health of their immune function and not trying to hide from the virus. I mean, that that should be the priority, right? That doing what is necessary to rebuild your immune system's strength and resiliency is your way out of that concern. That's their number one way out of that concern. Uh, For the rest of us that are otherwise healthy, that don't have... Untoward comorbidities or vulnerabilities, for us, the best path forward is through what it can be termed true herd immunity. And, you know, of course, Sweden has already accomplished this, and for the most part, so have we. You know, we we see so called, they're calling it a case demic now, you know, oh, all these new cases. Well, there's all this new testing, and that testing is highly, highly suspect there is no accurate testing okay there there is no such thing as accurate testing but false positives are a real consequence of most of this testing so you get high numbers of people testing positive whatever that means but when you look at the where the rubber hits the road which is an actual death rates those have been plummeting now for months and so what you see with that divergent you know these divergent curves is really, if anything, evidence of herd immunity. If cases are, well, what they're calling cases. So in medicine, what is normally referred to as a case is an actual active infection where someone is sick. Okay. Positive tests do not a case make. A positive test is just some kind of indication that there has been exposure, but it's not necessarily evidence of illness. And that's you know we have to be very careful about the language that we use, and unfortunately, the media is not at all careful. Invested interests are not at all careful, and uh, that's creating a lot of unnecessary hysteria. When in fact, you know the the vast majority of people, you know, like we're talking ninety nine point nine six percent of everybody, is going to be just fine, and the people that aren't going to be just fine, you know. Even the CDC claims that only 6% of the deaths, and we know, I mean, we know, we've all seen these headlines, and we've all seen the fact that the CDC has made a very, very, um, their idea of diagnosing this is extremely liberal, (laughs) right? I mean, anybody, they they don't even have to have a test result. It's like if somebody has a cough or sniffle or, you know, a couple of symptoms that really could be almost any a respiratory illness, that's sufficient to just slap a label of this particular virus on that and call it that. And if a person has a half dozen things wrong with them at the time they die and they happen to test positive, well, that will be listed as a COVID death. And we have to kind of try to reclaim our sanity a little bit and take a look at what is actually happening and how hysteria is being promulgated in an un- unnecessary fashion. So you know it i you know I, I don't I'm not trying to turn this into conspiracy theory hour, uh, although just because something is called a conspiracy doesn't mean it's not necessarily true, but you know there are a lot of ways of of looking at all this. this whole subject matter has become a bit of a hall of mirrors, and a lot of rational. Uh, discussion and a lot of rational look at the actual data and the numbers and and evidence at hand has been overlooked in favor of, of a lot of fear and hysteria that are leading to, you know, I think much bigger health concerns, which involve, oh, I don't know, poverty, <laughs> you know, the entire shutdown and controlled demolition of the economy, um, stress-related illness of all kinds massive declines in mental health, massive increases in drug abuse and alcoholism, you know, increases in social in in, in uh, you know, all kinds of social unrest and but also skyrocketing levels of suicide. And we're seeing now many, many, many more deaths by orders of magnitude. If you want to look at the curves associated with with death related to those issues, I mean, poverty alone is is viewed by the World Health Organization as the number one cause of mortality worldwide, right? Well, now it's not just a third world problem anymore. All aspects of modern society are now being subjected to the potential for poverty and starvation and the starvation that, you know, problems that may ensue from you know, from all of this hysteria, could result in 300, I'm trying to remember if this was a UN number, but 300,000 deaths or more per year, which again, makes the deaths from COVID look like a speed bump by comparison. So, you know, we, we need to be a little bit rational, and we need to be more focused on, on health than disease, right? On the restoration and support of immune and other health, as opposed to doing things out of fear in order to try to avoid disease. It's a very different mindset, but it's a much healthier one. <laughs> and so in the long run, we're gonna have to learn to live with whatever is in our environment. And I think that human, human contact is as much a nutrient and human touch for, for crying out loud is as much of a nutrient for us as literally a a life essential nutrient for each and every one of us as human beings, as is quality nutrition, fresh air, water, and sunshine. And avoiding one another and learning to live separately from one another and in relative isolation from one another is the greatest recipe for death and destruction than, than anything else I can think of. This is once our lifestyles become dehumanizing, what's the point, right? So anyway, I'm just sort of, I'm just sort of on my rant here. I don't know if I've deviated a little further from where you wanted me to go, but I'm happy to get roped back in if you want me to uh, cover something in a little bit different way.
1: No, I think that's such an important uh, mindset shift and approach right now. And especially now as we know more, and like you said, the virus isn't just going to go away. We can't just isolate forever and hope that it eventually goes away. That's not how it works. And to me, it's a similar analogy to a shift I had to make internally when it came to food. After years of trying to lose weight, I had, had developed this sort of like deprivation mindset around food, and I had to make a mental switch toward the focus of nourishing my body and giving it enough calories and feeding it because I loved it versus depriving it because I was mad at it. This episode is brought to you by GladSkin, an incredible new product and resource for anyone who is struggling with eczema. This product is rooted in a really unique scientific understanding of the skin's microbiome. GladSkin has unearthed an innovative new way to solve eczema that helps to treat the root and not just the symptom. It's a new category of non-prescription eczema treatment rooted in indolcin, which I hope I'm saying right, um, science that has received recognition from today's leading dermatologists and pediatricians while most microbiome studies have focused on the health implications of what's found deep in the gut we're now finding that healthy skin just like a healthy gut requires a balance of bacteria in fact four out of five people with eczema have a specific type of imbalance in their skin bacteria or their skin microbiome and this is where glad skin comes in when the skin balance bacteria gets out of balance, eczema is more likely to flare. So a targeted approach that takes into account the microbiome's good and bad bacteria is critical to relieving the redness and itching of eczema. Although new and unique in its approach in the US, this has already been a proven solution for eczema in Europe for five years and received recognition from leading dermatologists and pediatricians. It's also been accepted by the National Eczema Association and is a different approach altogether compared to steroid creams and traditional over-the-counter moisturizers best part Gladskin is hypoallergenic and free of steroids fragrances drying alcohols and harmful preservatives it's stored fresh in a pharmaceutical quality bottle so they don't need to use the chemical preservatives found in most over-the-counter creams and lotions and I hear from a lot of you whose children have eczema and I'm so excited to get to share this resource you can find out more and get an automatic ten percent discount by going to wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash glad skin g-l-a-d-s-k-i-n so again that's wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash glad skin to get a 10% discount it should be automatic but you can also use the code wellnessmama10 if you have any trouble This podcast is sponsored by Wellness. That's wellness with an E on the end. My new personal care company that creates products that go beyond just safe and natural to contain beneficial ingredients that nourish your body from the outside in. See, many clean products just don't work that well. And this is why I spent the last decade researching and perfecting recipes for products that not only eliminate the toxic chemicals, but that have ingredients that work better than conventional alternatives while nourishing your body from the outside in. I am so excited to share these products with you and I'm especially proud of our whitening toothpaste which took years of formulating and dozens and dozens of rounds of tweaks to finally perfect. Our whitening toothpaste supports a healthy oral microbiome and strengthens tooth enamel naturally using ingredients like hydroxyapatite, neem and green tea. Instead of fluoride, our formula contains green tea leaf extract, which is loaded with antioxidants. Plus, we use a phytochemical in green tea that's shown to fight bacteria that leads to tooth decay. We combine this with hydroxyapatite, a naturally occurring mineral and the main component of tooth enamel, with clinical studies showing that it can help strengthen teeth and avoid cavities. And of course, fresh breath is important when it comes to brushing teeth. So for that, we included peppermint leaf and neem. If you're not familiar with it, neem prevents bacteria from sticking to teeth and turning into plaque. So this protective measure means fewer bacteria, which leads to fresher breath. Check out our whitening toothpaste along with all of our products, including hair care and hand sanitizer at wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-E.com. And a tip, if you buy a bundle or subscribe, you get an automatic discount that's built-in both of those ways. So check it out wellness.com. And I feel like when it comes to our immune systems. That's the shift we need to make as well. Like moving away from the fear-based side and all of that and moving into the supporting our body, supporting our immune system from a positive perspective, looking at the positive things that are within our control versus being afraid of the things that are outside of our control. And, and like you said, so well, not to say people with comorbidities should not take cautions. That's certainly not what we're saying at all. But that acknowledging that there are many things within our control that maybe aren't being talked about enough, and that we can also live our lives constantly in the sympathetic state of nervousness and fear because of a societal thing that's actively suppressing our immune system as well.
0: Absolutely. There's hardly anything more immunosuppressive than stress. And, you know, that, that does bring me to one of the big no-nos. I mean, the number one well, I, I hate to put it in, in negative terms, like the number one best thing you can do for your health is something that you don't want to do. <laughs> and that is watching the news, you know, turn CNN and all of the rest of it off. And I mean, that's, you know, it's a, it's a tall order during a highly contentious election. But, you know, there was a really wonderful article published in The Guardian a few years ago. And the. uh title of the article, and this was based on a, on a bunch of research that had been done uh, that actually looked at the effect of people who regularly watch the news, looked at the effect of that upon their health. Now, this article was published long before this, you know, um, this whole big scare that started about, a, you know, you know, a little uh, less than a year ago now. But, the title of the article was news is bad for you and giving up reading it will make you happier. And one of the things that they said in the article was, news is bad for your health. It leads to fear and aggression and hinders your creativity and ability to think deeply. The solution stop consuming it altogether. So, and there was another quote in, in there that, that stated that most of us do not yet understand that news is to the mind, what sugar is to the body. Okay. And by the way, sugar is one of those other things that will absolutely suppress your immune function. And what are people doing right now? They're sitting at home on their couches, not going anywhere, not moving around very much, and they're eating comfort foods. And, you know, the vast majority, what, what has actually been found is that the countries that were the most locked down, and Argentina probably was the most locked down country of any of them. Like people have not gone out of their homes at some, for like eight months. I mean, extreme lockdown measures. They also had the highest rates of mortality. So the more locked down a country is, the more isolated you are, the more sequestered you are, you know, in a confined space, the less healthy you're likely to be, and the less positive an outcome you're likely to have, you know. And conversely, you know, in Sweden, you know, the death rate there from, you know, even infection is 0.058, no, 0.0058%, you know, is, is next to nothing. And they never locked down. The highest rate of mortality they had was through pure, poor management of elder care facilities, which refreshingly, the health minister admitted that, that he'd made a mistake in, in, in how he initially handled that. Um, but for the most part, things have gone back to normal there. They haven't seen deaths in Sweden from, from this in, in months. And the things have you know the restaurants are open, people are going to work, and the degree to which an economy can in, operate independent of the rest of the world in, in today's society, today's increasingly globalized society, you know their their economy is doing a lot better than everybody else's. But it's interesting. The same article in The Guardian showed how mainstream news misleads and overrides rational thinking. Mainstream news, and I have these notes from the article, mainstream news is irrelevant to anything that has the potential to improve the quality of your life. News has no true explanatory power. News is literally toxic to your body and brain. It constantly triggers your limbic system and cortisol. And that then dysregulates your immune system and ravages your brain. In other words, your your body finds itself in a state of chronic stress. And high stress hormone levels cause impaired digestion, lack of cellular growth and healing, nervousness and susceptibility to infections. It also leads to brain shrinkage, how convenient. The other potential side effects include anxiety, depression, aggression, tunnel vision, and desensitization. Also, watching the news regularly has been shown to increase cognitive errors and feeds the mother of all cognitive errors, which is corporate and political confirmation bias. not to mention social polarization. News also inhibits thinking. Thinking requires concentration. Concentration requires uninterrupted time. News pieces are specifically engineered to interrupt you. They're like, they're, they are like viruses, ironically, that steal attention for their own purposes. News makes us shallow thinkers. But it's worse than that. News severely affects our memory function, according to at least one Canadian study. News is an intentional interruption system. Also, news works like a drug, literally altering the structure of your brain. The more news we consume, the more we exercise the neural circuits devoted to skimming and multitasking while ignoring those used for reading deeply and thinking deeply with any meaningful focus. News wastes our time. News makes uh, us passive. News stories are overwhelmingly about things you can't influence. It grinds us down until we adopt a worldview that is pessimistic, desensitized, sarcastic, cynical, and fatalistic. The scientific term is learned helplessness, right? Which is also associated with clinical depression, which is another major deadly epidemic of our time. News also kills creativity. Like, you know, we need independent reporting that polices our institutions and uncovers actual truth. This is why we have to support quality alternative media, you know, like your show, for instance. And, and this also is also why alternative media happens to be in the crosshairs of the mainstream media right now. So, don't be living every moment of every day in quarantine indoors. You know, you should be out in the, you know, here's the irony. We're talking about vitamin D. What was one of the first things that they did, you know, when they locked us down? They made it illegal, quote unquote, which is not illegal. There have been no laws passed, you know, quarantining or forcing mask wearing. Those aren't laws. These mandates are anyway it just kind of makes me crazy, but they they shut down the beaches. You know, they tell people you can't go to the park. You can't walk in fresh air and sunshine. It, you know, I, I, I about lose my mind if I walk into a, uh, you know, into a nature area and I'm walking on a nature path and I see people walking on the path, wearing masks, really, you know, and, and shutting down the beaches, keeping people away from fresh air and sunshine as if that is supposed to be something protective. It's, you know, a lot of what's going on makes no sense, just as most things bureaucratic make no sense. I don't know of any example of where bureaucracy has ever done anything to benefit humanity. We need to take a step back and, and take a more, like I say, rational look, and we need to be open to voices that aren't necessarily in lockstep, so to speak, with, you know, with mainstream orthodoxy, right? you know, the the mainstream talking points. And there's far as, as I know, you know, personally, there's far too much censorship happening. There shouldn't be any censorship happening. And it's not just that there's censorship happening. There's mass censorship happening. And um, that's not the way we get to the bottom of something that, by the way, I mean, we have to get this right. And we can't get this right by... By suppressing dissenting discussion, you know, by suppressing discussion in general, talking points aren't going to save us. And so, you know, wow, I've at this point with respect to this whole debacle that we've all been in the middle of now, and in for about the last eight months, I went into researching this whole thing, kicking and screaming. I really just, you know, I, I, people would talk about it. I, you know, I roll a little bit. It's like, okay, I've, I've got other things to do because every year they try to scare us with something every year they're trying to sell a, you know, a new sickness, a new vaccine or whatever. But eventually just simply by the, by the sheer prevalence of the issue, I was forced to really take a look at it. And I realized I had to take a responsible look at it. I couldn't just, Go with my automatic instincts about it, you know, just kind of being, I don't know, something questionable. I really needed to look at and, and follow where the data led me. And, and that's what I did. I was perfectly willing to go wherever the data led me. And I really worked hard at keeping myself and my own biases in check. And, you know, after now, I can honestly say I've easily put close to 400 hours into this. Uh, from all different angles. So I mean, I could come at this from so many different angles. One of the things I did for my for my audience and for my prospective audience is I created a an extended report. And gosh, I rewrote it so many times because I was tempted to go in so many different directions with it. And I really, really wanted to, you know express as many truths as I've I've been able to uncover and could support with really good quality, credible documentation and data, what I chose to to hone in on and focus upon was a much more kind of positive approach that was going to be actionable and practical and self-empowering for anybody that read it because it's it's not hard to scare the crap out of somebody with all the stuff there is to know about this and really the things that are scariest to have very little to do with any risk of getting sick from a virus but what i wanted to focus on was the self-empowerment of individuals who were already afraid and who were concerned about getting sick and concerned about what to do to keep themselves healthy and so with a particular focus upon these types of respiratory illnesses, of which there are about a couple hundred different kinds, you know, and all of that. But with respect to respiratory illnesses, I did my due diligence and I created a, a, an extremely, shall we say, nutrient-dense report that anybody can access for free. I, I actually, all of the work that I've done in this arena, all 400 or however many hours that I've done in this respect, I consider it personally kind of unethical, I guess, to charge for that information because there's just too much at stake. And I really want people to be empowered with good quality, credible, accurate information. And so I created the initial report and anybody can access it by either going to primalcourses.com, which is my educational website, or my, my homepage uh, on my regular website, which is primalbody-primalmind.com. And you can put in your email address and a link will be sent to you where you can access the report for free. I will not abuse your email, I promise. And on that same page, once you've read through the report and you've absorbed that information, I've also been adding a tremendous amount of additional information coming from all different angles regarding all aspects of what's going on. Uh, and again, I carefully vet my sourcing. I don't just go and say, Well, I saw this YouTube video that said, you know, uh, although good luck watching a YouTube video that's going to contradict the mainstream narrative, those tend to disappear very quickly now. But I, I, I digress. I've been very, very careful to vet the information and to, and to choose information that truly comes from credible, verifiable sources. If there is independent journalism involved, I will not post anything unless that journalist has supplied me with all of their sourcing. And until I have gone to all that sourcing, I mean, this is how many rabbit holes I've gone down. I will go and I will look up the references And then I'll read those references and I'll go to the references those references provide and I'll look at those references. And I have gone down innumerable rabbit holes in order to, you know, to ascertain that the information I'm providing at least has a basis of credibility. Right. And of course, science isn't the last word. It's the latest word. Right. All we can do is the best we can do with the current data at hand. But there's quite a bit more that we know now than that we didn't know eight months ago. And there have been a lot of mistakes and miscalculations made that we're still paying the price for and that are still driving public policy. And we kind of need to sober up a little bit from from the drunken hysteria and 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 really start to pay attention to information that's not just simply being spoon-fed to you through a media that already is being driven by and controlled by vested interests that have certain business interests and corporate interests that, that are vested in making sure that more of the same continues. And, you know, we know that the top four billionaires in the world have increased their bottom lines now by something is 586 or 589 well probably close to by now to 600 billion dollars well you know i think i think it's worth worth questioning that because some of these individuals have a very high degree of control over what is published or broadcasted in the news and what is shaping public policy, and health policy. And so nobody is really coming to save us here. It's really important that we accept some individual responsibility and that you know we become the ones that we've been waiting for, right? We have to learn to think independently of our peers and of social media and mainstream media. And we need to just be willing to be open enough to take in... Take in other information and to give people some credit or, you know, a little bit or not credit, but to, I mean, have to take into account the fact that it's hard to find uh, alternative information, right? Because so much of it is being carefully parsed out to us in a carefully spoon fed manner. So we have to learn to dig. We have to become uh, as I like to think of myself, you know, truth archeologists, and we have to learn to dig beneath what appears to be you know the the surface truth and and figure out what it is that we actually need to know and again i i do believe that we need to be shifting our focus away from how do we you know hide from this virus how do we you know hide from each other it needs to be instead how do we meet the challenge right how, does our immune, how can our immune system best meet the challenge of these things? And again, looking at things from an ancestral perspective and understanding how our immune systems evolved in the first place, look, you know, you can't be afraid of, say, I don't know, lifting a heavy weight, right? Because, well, my muscles are weak, so I really shouldn't try to lift anything heavy, <laughs> Right. These are the people that are hiding at home because they think they have a compromised immune system. Well, you know, sitting and hiding at home is not strengthening your immune system. It's not getting any better. So the focus really needs to be, instead of not doing the thing you think is is going to, you know, put you at risk, is, you know, take some baby steps towards strengthening your immune function. And obviously, understanding that you don't have any wiggle room with respect to what it will take nutritionally for you. Uh, You know, you need to not compromise your diet and compromise the quality of the food that you consume, right? And the things that you indulge in, you really don't have room for a lot of, you know, indulgences when you feel that your immune system may be compromised that's when you kind of need to take the bull by the horns, take responsibility for that and work on strengthening your immune function instead of just making it worse by putting on masks and hiding at home and, and isolating yourself from other people, including the people that you love and trust the most in this world.
1: Yeah, that's such an important point for all of us too, is like we all need to take the personal responsibility for ourselves and that's gonna look different for each of us and we're all responsible. We are our own primary healthcare provider ourselves. We do work with practitioners, but we are our own primary healthcare provider and we need to take that responsibility seriously. And I think the other point you made so well is absolutely spot on is it, when we believe we're absolutely certain about something, I think we have an obligation not just to be open to to other viewpoints, but actually to actively read and consider other viewpoints to make sure that we're well-informed in our opinion. And I think what we need so badly in the world right now is more people willing to do that, to critically question their own beliefs, to make sure that they're actually learn and to have empathy for other viewpoints. And also adults who can be examples of looking at someone and saying, I may have a different opinion than you, but I still love and respect you as a person. And let's have a constructive, kind conversation. I feel like especially right now, we've lost a lot of that, you know.
0: It takes, it takes frontal lobes to do that, you know. And the problem is, you know, and I talked about this in my first book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, in the Primal Mind section toward the end of the book, I talked about, you know, what actually happens to the brain of a person under chronic stress and fear. Is what literally happens is an immediate hypoperfusion to the executive functioning part of our brain, which is literally the part of our brain that makes us the most human. When we go into fight or flight mode, you know, everything gets shunted away from critical thinking because, you know, when you're in survival mode, you don't have time to sit down and you know it, it's not selectively advantageous to sit down and you know and start to contemplate when the saber-toothed tiger's coming at you. You know, you, you just want to act, you know, you're immediately in survival mode-literally, fight or flight. And so, all things the the aspects of our brain that are responsible for actually thinking through something, maybe in the context of the past or in context of you know, all available data and all of that kind of thing. That stuff goes out the window. Blood flow to, to that part of the brain shuts down. And, you know, in my view, that it's kind of a hallmark of the society in which we're living. We're either prone to knee-jerk re- emotional reactivity toward everything in fearful behavior based on fear, which is, makes us very malleable, by the way. We'll do almost anything when we're afraid. If somebody tells us, oh, yeah, oh, I, know, I know how to fix it. I know you're afraid. I know how to fix it. Just you know, do what I tell you. We have to really, really resist that. And the other part of that, of course, is that people are also more likely to behave aggressively and judgmentally and impulsively when they're in a state of neurologically sympathetic dominance. In other words, fight or flight. And that's a hallmark of the society in which we live right now. It's all basically almost definable by those characteristics. You know, it's a great argument for why another, you know, maybe the antithesis to watching the mainstream news would be to instead go sit in a quiet space and focus on your breathing for about a half an hour. You know, the half hour that you would have spent wasting your life getting stressed out by news you can't do anything about anyway, go sit in a quiet corner. And and meditate, you know, just take count, you know, get get into your own body and take inventory and just focus on your breathing for 30 minutes. Gonna do far more for your health and well-being. Reclaim that part of your brain that this debacle has taken away from you. And it the only way we get out of this is if we're able to think clearly, right? And there's a huge part of our brains right now that the majority of people in our society uh, just simply don't have access to by virtue of their feelings of fear and worry and hysteria. We need to let go of that because it's not serving us and it cannot serve us. We need to be focused on really, really, really doing whatever is possible to reclaim. And by the way, it's tremendously helpful to your immune function to do that on top of your ability to think your way through You know, I mean, we all have a lot to think about right now. We have a big mess, a big, big, big mess to clean up. And nobody's going to clean it up for us. And if we're going to clean it up for ourselves, we have to have the presence of mind with which to do that. So turn off CNN, go sit in a corner and meditate for half an hour. Take a deep breath, exhale it slowly, don't sigh it out. And uh, reoxygenate, your take the mask off when you meditate or do, I mean, every chance you get, you should be taking the mask off. And I I have about 115 page report I'll be publishing in the next few days that provides all of the most current science on that whole subject matter. In fact, the CDC just came out just the other day with a study that showed that 75% or more of everybody that had... That were most that that got ill, that had developed this illness and had a bad outcome with this illness. wore masks mostly or always, and we're not just talking the cloth masks, which most most people know are are bad, but all of them. And in the article that I've written or the uh, report, because it's it's quite lengthy, but I'm really thorough. Like I say, I'm very responsible with the way that I approach these things. And, you know, I even covered the subject of N95 masks, which everybody thinks is like the gold standard of protection. It's not. It can't be. These things aren't designed to, to protect from, from viruses. They're designed to protect from bacteria in a surgical situation and from particulates from either noxious gases in some cases or, in, in, uh, or, or particulates, particularly uh, with respect to like dust and smoke and things like that. But they don't really protect protect from respiratory viruses. And they they actually can do more harm than good in that regard. So all of the evidence will be provided. And there is there's an enormous amount of information.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned I mean we're running unfortunately to the end of our time, but you so many resources and I know you have so many on your site. I'm gonna keep an eye out for the mask report as well, but also make sure I link directly to all the other ones you've talked about and also to your program. We didn't have time to get into it, but you have yeah so right resources. I'll make sure I'll link to
0: I keep forgetting I actually have a business. Yeah so I do have um, a couple of of uh, you know educational programs. I do have a year long, you know, 52 week certification course that is a a huge number of practitioners, including medical doctors and naturopaths and chiropractors, but also just average persons who are wanting to take a deeper dive into various subjects related to health. I have never gotten a bad review about that course from anybody. They all say, oh my God, I've never seen this much information, it's amazing. Also, I have my uh, program, my most recent program, the most requested program I've ever had. Uh, by the by, my audience called the Primalgenic Plan. It's a three-week meal-by-meal total health transformation program, and it's focused on adopting a more optimized, ancestrally based, and you know ketogenic uh, way of eating. And and it should be just in quick passing. You know, there is absolutely nothing more no no dietary approach that's ever shown a greater protection against influenza-like illness than. Than a ketogenic dietary approach, something about a ketogenic dietary approach that 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 influenza-like illness it does not like at all. And so, but there are as many different ways of approaching that as there are people claiming to practice it. I've taken the painstaking uh, steps of optimizing this for as many people as humanly possible. And so, the Primal Genic Plan. I'm you know happy to offer your listeners. Uh, 30% off for that. And, you know, I'm sure you'll have a a link on your website as to the code that people can use uh, on your website in order to access that discount for this next month. So, you know, through the end of November.
1: Awesome. Those links will be in the show notes as well, along with all your other resources, because there are so many. Yeah. And we'll definitely put it on social media as well when this airs so people can find it directly. And like I said, our time always flies by. But Nora, thank you so much. This has been enlightening as always.
0: Oh, thanks Katie. It, you know, it's, it's just such a privilege. It's a privilege to know you, but it's, it's a real honor and a privilege to be a, to be a guest on your show. And I really enjoyed talking with you.
1: Thank you. And thank you as always for listening, for sharing your most valuable resource, your time with both of us today. We're so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast.